more than he's waiting on us. So many times, God makes it so clear through the defining moments of our lives what our next step needs to be. Whether at home, whether at our work, whether it's our calling, whether it's our job, whether it's our relationship with God, whether it's our relationship with people. And yet, sometimes we come into the presence of God disappointed because the answer is always the same. He's waiting on you. Some of us have to give up things that he's been asking for. Some of us, it's been a month and a few days. We've already given up on a new year. Same old, same old. I want to encourage you today that defining moments are assigned by heaven to get us back on the track with what God has for our life. The timing is everything in the kingdom of God. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. Because timing is what is critical to being exactly where God wants us to be, doing exactly what God wants us to do. This is why timing is everything. This is why the Holy Spirit is here, even though Jesus has ascended on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. We have the Holy Spirit speaking, whispering, guiding us, telling us what's wrong and what's right, and to go in the path that God has for our lives. Maybe you guys know this. Uh, how many guys, uh, you don't have to show your hands, but maybe you have some investments here. The business world, they will do this a lot where maybe you've seen stocks. Some of you guys know what I mean by stocks and trading and investments, right? You do. And uh, what they do is basically they put money into stocks and it's supposed to give you a return on investment. And sometimes people will put their money in and pull it out at the right time saying, you know, it's too risky or there's a risk here. I'm going to go ahead and calculate it. Sometimes they're watching the news and something's happening. Sometimes it's political in nature. You begin to cash out at the wrong time. In fact, I want to show you a picture here. You guys might know these guys. How many of you guys know who's behind me? A little old school. They're not the Beatles, you know. It's Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, along with the co-founders, Steve Wozniak and Ronald Wayne. So you may have heard of Steve, because all of us, most of us, if you're actually holy and called according to God's purposes, have Apple devices. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? We're praying for all you Android users or... And the others, whatever that means, right? But uh, you may have heard of Steve. You may not have heard of Steve Wozniak. He was really kind of uh, the brains behind the operation. And you probably have no idea who the person in the middle is. Even if you're a tech geek. Maybe you do. But Wayne, Ronald Wayne, joined Apple co-founder Steve and, and Steve who were 21 and 25 at that time to provide the company with adult supervision and to oversee mechanical engineering and documentation in exchange for a 10% stake in the business. So on April 1st, 1976, Wayne sat down at his typewriter, you know, you know, and he typed up and drew up an agreement outlining each man's responsibilities, job descriptions, making his role with a Apple official. You know, he's the older guy. He's more, you know, he knows what he's doing. So he put together job descriptions. He also drew the company's first logo, which was used for less than a year before being replaced by the symbol associated with the company today. A little apple with a bite out of it. Wayne rapidly grew... Uh, concerned that any debts incurred by the business would fall on him personally. Why? Because Jobs, Steve Jobs, had taken out a $15,000 loan so he could buy supplies to fulfill Apple's first contract with a Bay Area computer store called the Byte Shop, which had ordered around 100 computers. Wayne tells Business Insider this. This is recently. But the bite shop was 
known for failing to pay its bills, and Wayne was worried that Apple wouldn't be able to recoup the money back in 76. So while both Jobs and Wozniak were young and broke, Wayne had assets, including a house, and feared that the financial burden would fall on him if the deal went south. So after spending a mere 12 days in the company, Wayne talked to Steve and Steve, And had his name taken off the contract and sold his shares back to his co-founders for $800. Wayne's decision to leave the startup cost him big. Today, a 10% stake in Apple would be worth, you ready? Drum roll. $95 billion. Some of us, we reacted more to that than the word of God. (laughs) Isn't it true that sometimes that we step out of the plan of God so early because we think that the risk is too high? I talk to missionaries all the time. I'm always interested in, in knowing why missionaries will sell everything. Families of four or five kids will sell everything, move to a place that they don't know what to expect. Learn a different language. Leave it all behind in their 40s, some in their 50s, some in their 60s. Not caring about their 401ks or 403bs if you're a nonprofit. Their future, their health care plan, the deductibles, their kids' college tuitions, what they need to provide for their kids. They go towards the call of God. See, God is looking for that kind of faith in today's day and age. I shared with the the team before we were praying over our service, I shared with them that I believe that in the next couple of decades, there will only be churches that are full of the presence of God or churches that don't exist. Because this is where culture is going. Either you are a Christian or you're not, and you know it as a Christian, that it's time for us to make a decision towards going to God's things all in Or you feel the pressure from the enemy to pull you right out. This is why I pray over our younger generation all the time. It is not the same age that they're growing in. There is such a pull to say that the things of God are irrelevant. That the ways of God don't work. That the Bible does not speak to things. It's not all clear. There's some gray in the Bible. It's actually not true. Those are all lies keeping you from the will of God for your life. See, I want to share a couple things with you about... The timing of God. And you may know this already, but this is a good reminder. A couple things real quick. First is this. God is rarely early. He's never late. And he's always on time. God is never rarely. I mean, he's rarely early. He's never late. And he is always on time. This is who we serve. Now, we may think he's late. We may want things to be early. But he is never late. He's rarely early. And he's always on time. The second is this. God is always working behind the scenes in our lives. See, there's a greater purpose. See, we don't know what God is preparing you for and us for. But all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. In my hand here is a brand new fresh mint stripe called Colgate Total Toothpaste. It's so, it looks so nice. I mean, it literally, it takes away cavities, plaque, gingivitis, enamel, tartar, breath, whitens. I'm telling, I, I didn't even know they made this. In fact, it was a little too expensive to be a prop that I'm about to use, (laughs) you know? Sometimes we look at our journey with God just like this outside of the toothpaste. That's what we want to be like, this tube of toothpaste. We want to be the total package. We want to look like someone would buy us off of a shelf. We want to look perfect. We want to look like we do all of these things. We want life to be clear. God is saying, hey, 
that's good. But I'm actually more interested on what's inside. See, this is why God allows things to happen in our lives. Because he's waiting on us to take our next step towards what's on the inside. So some of us, as we're following Jesus, we still have not gotten this principle. We haven't. We're wondering why God is allowing things to squeeze us. We're wondering why life and the pressures of life and the problems of life are allowing things to happen. And we go to God and say, God, please stop the squeezing and the pressure. Everything inside of me is coming out. I thought I was the total package that could do everything. What do you mean I'm not that gifted without you? What do you mean there's eternity and you're more worried about things in eternity? What do you mean you care about what's more on the inside? And we keep saying to God, stop the squeezing, God. I'm here to say that God is waiting on you to allow him to do what he needs to do to complete the work that he needs to do so that he can fill you back up with himself. So where are you at on the journey with God? Show me how much you've emptied yourself and I'll show you how much God has filled you. Some of us, we empty ourselves for the wrong reasons. Some of us, we empty ourselves for people that aren't going to be there when Jesus sees you face to face. Some of us, we empty ourselves to our families and then we take it out on them when the families cannot provide for you what only Jesus can. Some of us, we take it out on our spouses. I'm not looking at anybody and nobody look around either. Some of us, we take it out on close friends and mentors and leaders and maybe even sometimes pastors. Because we're so tired of the squeezing and we know God's allowing this to happen. We basically say, I don't want it. And then we enter into a Christianity that is sometimes mediocre. And then we wonder where God is. See, God is always working behind the scenes in our lives. Always. That doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Amen. That don't mean that it's easy. (laughs) That don't mean that it's not going to be tough. But this is why we have two things. The Holy Spirit. And this is why we have biblical community. This is why we go to lunch with each other. This is why we talk to each other in transparency. This is why we hold each other's trust and hold each other accountable to go towards all that God has. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me where you spend time or what you do with your time and I will show you where your treasure lies. These principles are timeless. They will never go away. See, I want to talk today particularly about a story in the Bible from the book of Esther about a woman named Esther. The story reads like a novel. This is kind of why sometimes I like preaching from the New Testament because I like a narrative. You guys know this. I like stories. It's full of spiritual lessons. The greatest being that God protects his people. He may not always do it the way that we think he should. But the book of Esther shows that he is in control even when he, we, or I don't see him. And he uses our obedience to move forward his purposes here on earth through us. In fact, God is not directly mentioned by name in the book of Esther. Did you know that? There's a little junior Bible quiz knowledge for you. He's not. In fact, God comes into the picture after Esther actually makes a decision To do what God is calling her to do. I want us to get to a point as a church. As individuals in our church. That Sunday mornings turn into a celebration. Of all that God has done. What God wants to do. All week. Accomplish in our hearts and lives what what he wants to do. And then on Sunday mornings you come in and you celebrate. Or if you need help, and if it's been a really cruddy week, then you actually say, hey, I need some help. Can somebody pray for me? 
Can I get around some believers? Up? Can I get around some amens in this place? Can I get around some people that can do what Paul and Tiffany just did and poured their hearts out and it inspires me that I can make it too? See, it's kind of sometimes reverse though. We kind of wait for the pastor and for worship and for Paul and Tiffany to give us a little bit of gas. To help us to get a little bit more towards the weak. I think God wants us our whole life, not just in church, folks. Here's the thing. Church is open 52 weeks a year. It wasn't open three weeks ago, so my bad. 51, okay? We will never close it again for those that want to, don't want to close. You will see your pastor here. I was here praying for all of you in Jesus' name, okay? But it's not just about the pastor preaching for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour. If I preach every week or any pastor preach every week for a whole year, that is 52 hours of sermons a year. That is one and a quarter of an average work week. How are we going to survive as followers of Jesus if all you do is listen to me once a week? You're not going to make it. This is why it's so important to be connected to the things of God. To not just look nominal on the good, and that's okay if you do and you, you're fine. But make sure the inside is good as well. How do you know you're falling apart on the inside? Open the Word of God and use it as a mirror. Don't use it as a weapon all the time, although it is. Use it as a mirror and say, God, show me where I need to change. Show me what I need to do. Show me what I need to become. Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way, to miss your kingdom assignment, to miss your kingdom assignment because you'll become too caught up in your own personal kingdom itself is the greatest tragedy you could ever face. Because we're so consumed with feeling like we've got to do things in order for God to move. We've got to get it inside of us. There is a kingdom assignment for us to pursue. This is what we read in the book of Esther. The setting of Esther is this. 450 years before Jesus came, Esther has been carried into Babylonian captivity. Babylonia is present-day Iraq. Persian army has a battle with the Babylonians. I mean, they were fighting back then too. Can you tell? I mean, nothing has changed, right? And some of the Israelites moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We talked about that in the, in the Nehemiah series, to rebuild the temple. And you can read this in some of the Old Testament books as well. Most of the Israelites actually stayed in Babylon. Did you know that? They actually didn't go back to rebuild the temple. And Esther was part of that. She was a young Jewish girl. She was orphaned and she hides her Jewish roots because it's not cool to be Jewish in Babylon. It's not cool to be Christian in the United States of America anymore. It is not cool to be Christian in our school districts. It is not cool to be a pastor, let alone a brown pastor, from Kuwait, an Indian, in Cleveland, because most people think maybe I work at the clinic. In a way. I tell them I'm a spiritual doctor, the other kind. So we have to get this, that Esther, just like us, came to a moment, a defining moment in her walk with God. I call this moment the defining moment that Esther had to make a choice. And that's what we read about. So in this story, there's several bad guys. I'm going to kind of try to give you the context here. The worst of which is a guy named Haman who is the political opportunist, and he comes up with a plot to wipe out all of the Jews on the planet. And Esther's cousin or uncle, no one knows who he is, uh, his name is Mordecai. How many of you guys have heard of Mordecai? He tries to send Esther a message of the timing of God for the purposes of God, particularly to protect the people of God, and that she has been put in a place of favor for the purposes of God. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say this, now is your time. Turn to the other neighbor and say, this is your time. So Mordecai kind of feels this and he sends this message to his cousin who basically 
became the queen of Babylon because of her beauty. And her influence was so great because of the way she looked, she got in with the popular crowd. She got in with the rulers of Babylon. In fact, she was the queen of Babylon. And that's where we pick up in Esther verse 4. You guys ready? Verse 9 through 16. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say, Mordecai, to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. And Esther, I want you to get this, says, But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther basically tells Mordecai, Hey, I know you want me to do something about our people being killed. I know you want me to to use my influence, but I got a pretty good reason here. It's been 30 days since I, the queen of Babylon, has seen the king, and I don't want to get killed because if I go into the king's presence without being summoned, I could get killed. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. All of us need Mordecai people in our lives. We really do. I want you to hear Mordecai's response. He wasn't playing around. That brother did not play games, you know. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you... And your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai reminded Esther about who God is. And what he's called her to do. And who put her in that position in the, in the first place. Some of us, we need a reminder That God gave us everything that we have. We're so focused on what we don't have. We forget that he has given everything that we do have. Do you have breath in your lungs today? Do you have a home to go to today? Do you have food tonight? Particularly unhealthy food tonight. (laughs) Do you have a family that you can actually reach out to? That's wealth. Can you pay your bills every month? Some of us, we forget the blessing of work. We're trying to make it big and make it rain. Do you know why you work? So that the things in your life that you have, you get to keep. (laughs) We complain about paying the mortgage. We complain about gas prices. Do you know how much gas costs around the world? Do you know how much it costs to heat an entire home and yet we are blessed to have companies that provide services for us to enable us to have heat in the middle of a storm? See, these are the simple things that we don't say yes to God. We don't, we, don't, we don't think about these things. Just like Esther, you know, who made it big and she's probably going to all the parties and she's arrived and she's like, listen, I don't want to die. It's a pretty good reason. And Mordecai says, hey, uh, just because you ain't going to do it doesn't mean you're going to escape. This is what God is saying to Christians in 2019. Just because you may be hiding during the week, Don't think that you're going to get the blessings behind the cross. Just because you feel like you can sneak in on church, look nice, smile, wear a jersey or two, right? Doesn't mean that you're a Christian. 
Then Esther, I love Esther, because Esther did the hard thing that some of us refuse to do. Send this reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. I mean, that's, that's, a, better, that's a better attitude. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. God is not looking for mediocre Christians anymore. He is drawing the line. And I'm not saying that his love isn't there. But the gospel is a gospel of grace and truth. It is not a gospel of agape love only and phileo love only. You cannot pick and choose what you love and what you don't. Especially if you're from a younger generation. What I just said is probably hitting you on the inside. Pastor Glenn, where is the love? You know? Where is the encouragement? I'm trying to tell you what God is doing in our day and age. He is calling forth the prophets. And I am not talking about people that are going to preach or teach or lead worship or lead a small group, even though all those things are important. Amen. Can I get a witness? Amen. Because I can't do this by myself on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? He's looking for men and women of God on fire for him. On your college campus, what are you doing for Jesus? In your workplace, what are you doing for Jesus? In the streets of Cleveland Heights and Shaker Heights and the Heights area, what are you doing for Jesus? What has he called you to accomplish? See, every relationship with God is the sum total of our obedience to the defining moments in our lives. It don't matter who the pastor is. If your attitude don't change, your attitude don't change. It don't matter who the president is. If you ain't going to pray for the president, you ain't going to pray for the president. It don't matter who your boss is. If you are someone who is not living according to the word of God, you will always be looking for ways to find fault in your boss. It don't matter what the weather's like. I can tell who in July likes to complain about the winter. It's only 40 days left of spring, by the way. Come on, somebody. The groundhog came out. <laughs> Chuck came out, too, is one of the names, right? I can tell because what God does on the inside eventually will come out because the pressures of life are, are there. The conversations of life and the relational issues of life will show up and what's on the inside will come out. The question is whether you will allow God to shape your future or if you're going to take your future into your own hands. So why does God use defining moments to shape our journey towards our destiny? Like, why does he do it? The first is this. Defining moments reveal the hidden character inside a person. The hidden character inside a person. I said hidden. The underline says hidden, so you can write down hidden. Because sometimes we are really good at showing people what we want them to see. But God is in the business of worrying about our hidden character. I mean, do you really whiten teeth? Do you really freshen breath? Is that what you're really telling people as a follower of Jesus? Do you really remove plaque and cavities? If you're like me, I have a particular kind of toothpaste I use. And I use one of those automatic toothbrushes, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, and I'm so particular about the toothpaste coming off of the toothbrush and, you know, you got to wash it properly or it gets all real crusty at where the head is. No one knows what I'm talking about. Anybody? Automatic toothbrush. Okay, praise God. I was like, y'all brush your teeth? <laughs> My goodness. Hand out the mints. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I was a little scared there. Okay. God really cares about what's on the inside. And whether you really do what you say you do. 
Don't tell me you know the Bible. Show me the Bible. Don't tell me that you're preaching the gospel. Live the gospel. Don't tell me that you're a nice person. Be a nice person. Don't tell me this is who you are when you know God has called you to better things. We, this is not a popular message. I mean, this is getting rough here. I got two more points. I promise you it's going to elevate towards the end, okay? They reveal the hidden character. Notice with me in verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the, court, in the inner court without being summoned, the king has one law. And I want you to check out that last statement. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Not only did Esther have a reason, which she said, hey, look, if anybody goes in the king's courts, you can die. But she actually added reasoning from herself with her insecurities and what was happening in her life and giving Mordecai a reason as to why she's not good enough to do this great work. You know, in the Bible, you see so many people, when God asks them to do something, they'll say, but God, I got a stutter. But God, I don't have the right personality type. But God, I'm a, I'm a fisherman. What am I supposed to do? But God, and so many times we have these but God moments in the wrong way. And say, well, but God, you don't know where I come from. Do you know what I grew up with? Do you know the issues that I have? But God, my bills are still not being paid. If you're like your pastor, you know, I can just go ahead and wrap it up and say 2019 has been terrible. My whole family's sick all the time, you know. But God is saying to me, let me see what's on the inside. I've got the healing taken care of. Let me see what's on the inside. What if I told you that in the last month, I was able to spend more time with my wife? And our relationship grew. Yeah, she's sick. What if I told you it actually made me slow down and be like, oh my goodness, being a mom is the hardest job ever. I got to start being a dad. A real one. What if I told you that in the last month I was able to spend more time in the presence of the Lord because I was more broken before the Lord? Saying, your will be done, not mine, Jesus. See, this is what Esther was saying. But God has a way of using these defining moments to reveal things inside of us, to make it come out through situations. He allows things to happen. He doesn't bring bad things to you. He allows these things to happen so that what's on the inside can come forth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Notice it didn't say run. Notice it didn't say sit. It said, stand. That means there's a little bit of effort to it, but you don't got to move. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let me speak that over you today. Give yourself to the work of the Lord, no matter what your profession is. God wants to move powerfully in the world today. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. I was praying with somebody at the end of last year over her job situation. It was not a good situation. It was not a situation that was something that she thought was going to be good. Last week, she called me and said, hey, thanks for praying. I actually ended up having a really good review, and I got a really good raise. How many times do we run away from situations that are hard and we have this outcome in our mind saying, this is what's going to happen, Jesus. I see A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And I'm not okay with G. And God's saying, you don't even see B. Quit trying to figure out what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change you from the inside out. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Do you know what that word labor actually originally translates into? A struggle. A relationship with God without a struggle is a relationship that is waiting to break apart. A marriage that is without struggle or some sort of a communication or hardship is waiting for when something happens, you could fall apart. In the same way, this is what God does on the inside of us. He does not care about Pastor Clen before he cares about Clen. Do you hear me? He cares about you before what you can do for him. What we do for him ought to come out of who we are with the Lord. It should be natural. It should be effortless. You know, for those of you that serve here, you know, that serve at the church, I want to encourage you that serve so well week in, week out, especially in our kids' areas, that you are there. And those kids are, some of them are tough. Amen. One of them might be mine, you know. How you fill yourself in the Lord isn't by sitting in this room. That's a good, that's a good thing. How you fill yourself in the Lord is to be in the presence of the Lord in your house. In your car. In your workplace. In your downtime. See, character is like a tree and reputation like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. Abraham Lincoln. The second thing, the defining motives, moments help us to achieve when God allows us to go through it is purify our motives. Defining moments, purify motives. Defining moments, purify motives. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that just because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. This wasn't a threat to Esther. This was an encouragement to Esther to say this. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God does not make mistakes. God did not make a mistake with you. God did not put you in the wrong family. Maybe people made bad choices, but he did not make a mistake on you. God did not call Cleveland to live in mediocrity in the shadow of other greats cities. God has called the best for Cleveland. God has called the best for you. You are not a mistake. Some of us, we're saying, well, well, pastor, I I don't make six figures. Well, change your definition of success. Do you really need all that money? Okay, let me give you... Let me give you an example. Do you know what happens when you start making a little bit more money? For those of you who are wondering or whatever, I'll just get it out there. Okay? You have bigger bills. Because you're trying to maintain a lifestyle that's bigger. Because your money is bigger. Therefore, if you go after money and God's not in there, I can tell you that. You're going to find out that six figures ain't enough to pay your bills. So if you want to know what real wealth is, and talk to a couple of business terms here right now, it's when you have money that you're not spending. So you can have a million dollars and have a million dollars worth of bills, and you're absolutely worth. So is money going to solve our issue? This is why God purifies our motives, even when it comes to money. Even when it comes to wanting to do great things for the Lord. Even when it comes to actually doing fake humility. The Bible teaches about that. And serving in the church when really you're trying to get somewhere. The Holy Spirit reveals these things. 
See, people in the book of Acts, you know, everyone's like, the Old Testament pastor, it's so old school. I mean, we said New Covenant. Well, in the book of Acts, people were dropping dead. You can read it. It's crazy. I mean, some of y'all like fiction from Dave's Market or Walmart or Barnes & Noble. You know, you like those fiction. Just read the Bible. It's full of it. You're like, what? Someone dropped dead for lying to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts? Man, this is juicy. God purifies our motives. This is what he does, Proverbs 24, 10 to 12. It says this, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. I didn't know anything about this, you know, all this life and death stuff. I mean, I just went to church. I, I gave my heart to God when I was seven. I got baptized when I was seven and a half. And, and I just, I, I didn't know. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Do you know who weighs our motives? God. Not our peers. God weighs our motives. Does not he who guards your life know it? Question mark, will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? What you sow is what you reap. I want you to write that down. That's not a fill in the blank, but you need to write that down. What you sow is what you reap. And I'm not just talking about money. It works with money too, but it's not just a financial thing. It is a principle of the word of God. If you sow strife, It's only a matter of time, mark my words, where you're going to push everybody away. If you sow love, it is only a matter of time where you become loved by many. If you sow unity, not just in church, guys, in your family, it's only a matter of time before unity starts to take place. You will reap. What you sow. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think or imagine. Come on, somebody help me out here. Are we reading the word of God, people? (laughs) I mean, I thought for sure you would know that verse. It's like tattooed on every person's forehead or something, you know. According to the power that is at work. I preach this all the time. This is one of my favorite verses. We love the first part of the verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think or imagine. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise him. Hold on. According to the power that is already in work within us. Hold on a second. So you're telling me Hold on a second, Pastor Cliff. You're you're telling me that God's power is inside of me and is active and alive. I can ask for things and it'll be more than what I can ask for or think or imagine. So we got it reversed, don't we? This is what God does. He purifies motives like like a really good coffee filter. He gets all that stuff out. And he gets right down to the good part. The last thing is this. Maureen, come on up. Defining moments accelerate our growth and maturity. The hot dogs are cooking. The burgers are good. We can wait for a few more minutes. Amen? Verse 15 to 16 says this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Gosh, man, where are the men and women of God? Do you hear me? I'm not saying there isn't any in this room, but I'm saying where are the people with a little bit of mojo, with a little bit of guts? You know, like the old school American movies, getting out there and doing something for the gospel. Mordecai confronted a family member Do we like being confronted by family? And he didn't hold back. He didn't give him the nice version. Give her the nice version. 
He said it in a way that most of us would be insulted. We, we might even say, that's not a Christian saying that. A Christian would never say that. You're not operating out of love. But Esther understood. So Esther does two things here. She says, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa. And would you fast for me? Notice that. Notice that. It changed from saying, look, I'll try to get to the guard. I'll slip him a $100 bill. Try to get into the king's court. See if we can work out a deal, negotiate. No, she said, you know what? I'm drawing in. I'm drawing the line. Would you go ahead and start fasting for me? Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, believing that God can use me like you're saying. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And Esther basically said, And if I perish, so be it. See, when you cross that line into being in God's will, that God's not waiting on you anymore. That is the place of the supernatural. That is when God can be God and you finally give up on you being you. I talked to two people in the last few weeks that told me about financial miracles. And we've had so many miracles in our church, not just financial, but finances speak to our culture because money has a grip on our hearts. One of them um, was waiting on a refund. Filed taxes early. Who does that, first of all? (laughs) But they did. And the refund was stuck for months and months and months. Some kind of random deal, security check. Praying, praying, believing God. And it's when this couple decided by going ahead and giving their way out the very next day in this church, this couple got the refund in their account. Now some of us, we can have an attitude to that story and say, well, it don't happen for me. Well, I wonder why. Because you're probably not crossing the line. You're just staying here and saying, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you for that miracle in my family. I'm waiting on you for do, to do something different. God's saying it's time for you to cross this line. Another person shared with me that they were actually getting to the point to where their bills were not going to be able to be paid for. Okay? And this wasn't someone who had not a lot of money. But they had enough. God had blessed them. And they said, God asked us to do this. And they've been faithful to the church. And magically, they get a check from a mortgage company. This is happening right here. So how is it that some people get it and some people don't? It's because God is waiting on us. It's not about, and see, I'm not saying you give to get. Please understand me. We are not one of those churches, okay, where we will never be. And I'm not saying as you pray and when you call out things, it may may not happen. I am saying, are you willing to cross the line and to get out there into what God's calling you to do? Some of us, you got business ideas in this room that you have been praying over for so long, and you're saying, God, I need a partner. I need money. I need God saying, are you going to sit down and write a business plan? Some of us, we're waiting on someone else to come and talk to us and make things right. And God is saying, are you going to go and initiate this conversation? God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you. Will you say yes to crossing that line?
Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Apostle Paul says this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. The great Apostle Paul. My only aim, look at that, is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What is your only task? God has already prepared the way. He is now preparing you. Let's close our eyes. God, we thank you today for your grace and mercy. God, I thank you for the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, you are doing a deep work here in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives. And surely you are doing and making all things new. Lord, some of us, we need to hit reset on who we think we are. We have to hit reset on our relationship with you and say, God, I've been walking with you for 20 years now. I want to start fresh. I want a fresh move in my heart and life. Some of us, we need to take that next step and say to the Lord, God, I give up doing this life my own way. I say yes to your plan. Some of us, we need to go ahead and and rededicate and recommit our life to God. No one knows this, but you're living two different lives. And God's love is drawing you closer and saying it's not over. Some of us, we're sitting here. Maybe you're contemplating whether to walk away from the faith because it's just not working out for you. And God is saying, would you just step over the line and stop trying so hard and know that I accept you for who you are, that you are loved, and the Holy Spirit will help you. If you're far from God here today, I want to let you know that the presence of God is here. What does that mean? Simply put, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus. And in Jesus, there's new life and new purpose for you. There's a purpose that is assigned to your soul and your life that only you can accomplish. Nobody else can. So I'm not sitting here and I'm telling you that life is going to be easier if you accept Jesus. Probably not, but I will tell you, it's much easier to have a life with Jesus.